0: My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, www.worklifepsych.com Hello and welcome to episode 52 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon and I'm joined by my co-host Pilar Ortiz. Pilar, how are you today? I am
1: quite well and delighted to be here with you. It feels like it's been for ages, probably won't feel like that to listeners, but to me it really does.
0: It's been a while since we did this. We we, we recorded quite a bit together and then, then we had a gap. So that's nice to speak with you yes, again.
1: have to get ready, warm up, <laughs> get the ears ready. <laughs> Good.
0: So today we've got um, a really great interview um, that we're going to share with listeners um, with uh, Professor Shane O'Mara Trinity College Dublin all about the benefits of walking but we've got a few things to cover off before we get in there some some news and some updates as always and then introduce Shane and, and put put his work into context why are we talking about walking on a podcast all about the the psychology of the workplace will all be revealed. Um, but first, let's uh, let's look at some news and updates. So we've had quite a bit of listener feedback uh, in between our, our last episode and this one. So I, I thought I would share that um, Because we always love to hear from our listeners. Can you tell? I'm excited to get the feedback. (laughs) It's always great to hear. (laughs) It helps us shape what we're doing, basically. This is not... um Massaging anyone's ego. This is so that we can find out what's working for you. What would you like to know more about? uh, What could we do better? And I shared um, an episode um, Out on LinkedIn. So I I put them out on LinkedIn so that people in my network know there's a new episode out and um, One of my uh, contacts on on LinkedIn uh, made a suggestion for a future episode, which is a great idea So Jane Hamilton. Thank you, Jane Uh, Jane often comments when when I share things to do with the podcast (laughs) She suggested that we do an episode Episode all about confidence and imposter syndrome.
1: Yes, what a great idea! Wow, yeah. wow. D- did she have any more um, any, any more uh, guidelines, or basically, I mean, the title is great. No, actually,
0: <laughs> yeah, that was it: confidence and, and the imposter syndrome. And I think we'd need a whole episode. Yes. Uh, to cover that because there's a lot going on in there, isn't there? But um I think it's something that a lot of people can identify with, you know, nagging doubts that you don't deserve your seat at the table or that you're not good enough or that it's all going to be taken away. But uh what, however it manifests, it's really not very comfortable or enjoyable at all. And as I say, a lot of us will experience that from time to and time. And also
1: going back to sometimes the conversation we have about how we are very, <laughs> we were very aware that sometimes we're really narrowing down the kind of people that uh, we're reflecting in the, in the episode, I, in the podcast. I think that this topic is really wide and it can appeal to people at all stages of their career, any kind of freelancers, entrepreneurs, employees. I think it's great. I think it's so wide. So thank you, Jane.
0: Yeah, I, I I've got some great ideas for what we could do on that episode and how we could look at it from some interesting perspectives, and as I'll talk about shortly um i've just sort of made some new contacts who um, might be able to contribute to to that so um yeah so watch this space uh we we have quite a few episodes planned so it mightn't be for a little while but it's definitely on the list now and it definitely will be done i make that commitment jane we will have that episode I also got a really nice email from one of my contacts in Hong Kong, Dr. Austin Tay, who is in touch and uh, he listens to the podcast. So we have listeners in Hong Kong. Global
1: audience, Richard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the reach uh, goes further and further. But uh, he was um, uh, responding to episode number 45, which was uh, about resilience. And he does a lot of work in in the space about well being and helping people be their best at work. And he was sharing with me in the email he'd been working with some law firms and uh, with a, a men's health forum in one of the uh, the big organisations there in Hong Kong under the umbrella of of well being. And um, he also is a, an act. Practitioner or someone that uses the skills of psychological flexibility, um, so he was able to identify a lot with what we 'd been talking about uh, in that in that episode, but he he did have this uh, frustration that he wants to share about organizations approaching things in a piecemeal manner. And that's something that we've touched on before, isn't it? Sort of, um, let's do a little bit this one day, and then another day we'll have another event, rather than something a bit joined up. And um, Austin said, I, I feel like a lonely drummer, drumming about the relationship between workplace bullying and well-being. I believe by doing more awareness sessions to organizations, people will start to recognize the impact of workplace bullying uh, on their employees' well-being. And, you know, he, he said that he uses this opportunity in these sessions to talk about work uh, workplace bullying, which is obviously one of the factors that can uh, affect our, our mental well-being uh, in work. And um Actually, those those discussions open up a lot about what's going on in the organization and what policies exist. And and these are the things I, I guess, you know, Austin is feeling frustrated about that reality is maybe quite uh, different to to the ideal. So uh, he finishes with apologies for my ranting. I'm passionate about helping bullied individuals use ACT to help themselves. And that was the focus of his Ph.D. Wow. So he knows what he's talking about here. Listening to your podcast about resilience reminds me I need to press on and keep advocating. Uh. Austin, thank you very much for getting in touch. And uh, I, I did editorialize there because he sent me quite a long message, but it was great to hear someone finding the content useful and also sharing with us what they are doing with these skills in the workplace. So I have invited Austin to contribute to a future episode. And at the moment, we are looking for a suitable time to record great. an interview. So lovely to hear. And the final piece of feedback that we got was uh, via Twitter. So all the channels are being used, (laughs) all the communications channels. Got a a feedback um, on, I want to double check, uh, I'm opening screens, can you tell? It was about um, uh, episode 49, um, the uh, challenges of task management. We returned to that in episode fifty-one. We're looking at task management apps. So I got a, a couple of tweets. Again, I'll get all summarised, but from uh, Inez Garcia, she said, "Thanks again for a tangible episode, My Pocket Psych." Um, and I had said, uh, you, "You know, you're very welcome." And uh, her point was, and let me get it now. Sorry, I've got it up. If you want me to read it, multitask. Uh, yeah, please do, please do, because it just came off yes, my screen and yes. I can't find it. So
1: she, uh, yeah, thanks for a tangible episode. Uh, the importance of product. Ethics, task management, effects of anxiety, etc. And then she said, great useful content, not only professional, but at a personal level. And, uh, and shall, I, shall I name a few of her book uh, recommendations? Yes, please yeah, do. So, and then uh, remember, if for episode 50, we wanted book recommendations. She recommends Drive, which is uh, about motivation by Daniel Pink, Collective Genius, The Machine That Changed the World, The 4-Hour Work Week. She's got lots of books. So Ines Capinesca on Twitter, you can maybe ask her for more books, listeners.
0: Yes, thank you, Ines, for getting in, in touch. I knew Ines listened, um, but it was really nice to, to get that feedback. So it reminds me that the feedback could come from yes. anywhere. So I need to keep an eye out where it's coming <laughs> from. But listeners, thank you so much for that. And um, if you have an idea for either a uh, future episode, a question about something we've covered already, or um, a perspective on one of those topics, maybe you're a practitioner in one of these areas, do get in touch. You can uh, tweet us at mypocketpsych or leave us a longer message on the contact form. And you can find that at worklifepsych.com slash contact. In general updates, shall we call it that? It's Things very are not good. really in the press. <laughs> yeah, general updates. I'm going to label it that. Um, well, actually, it's not even on our list here, but I need to share it with you. We have a new member of the team. Wow um Annie Gascoigne who's joined the team as as an associate psychologist um Annie is a fantastic practitioner and all-around good egg good to spend time with and very very knowledgeable about psychological flexibility so she and I spent a day at the IIBN annual conference that's the Irish International Business Network conference and actually uh Work Life Psych sponsored the conference so that was our first foray into contributing to the sponsorship of an event and uh we had a stand in the exhibition space and i gave a presentation but what we had was a great day of conversations about well-being in the workplace because people would um it was well-placed i have to admit i chose a, a space right next to the coffee station oh. so basically everyone had to there come by go. Us to get their coffee <laughs> Hot tip for future events. Um, but it was interesting. Well being came up more than any other topic, and we had some, some great chats. So we're in the middle now of having all of our following up, uh, sorry, follow-up calls and meetings with those people that want to take those conversations forward. So uh, a great day out from a really diverse um, set of speakers during the day as well. I really enjoyed um, all the different people we got to, to, to hear from, from Bonnie Greer, the playwright, through to Paul Costello, the um, the fashion designer, all um, presenting, being interviewed on stage and talking about the world of business from different perspectives. So really, really interesting. So if you are Irish, uh, like me, or like Ireland, or have connections with the country or do business in Ireland, the IIBN is a great network to be a part of because they facilitate lots of events like this, lots of ways to find out more about... Um, how to introduce your business into the country or into um, other members' organizations. So uh, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. And um, I have been doing some work since we last (laughs) spoke, but I did go to another conference (laughs) in between. I did a little bit, a little bit of work, but this was a great day out. I I got invited by one of my clients to attend the annual conference organized by the Stand Up Foundation, which is Ben Cohen's anti-bullying charity. Uh, Ben Cohen, the the rugby player, Uh, I'm sure some of our our listeners will be able to uh, imagine him right now. Um, He's also released a calendar uh, with him predominantly in it. But that day was all about the anti-bullying campaign, and it was a great conference. Uh, We had inputs from um, uh, the legal perspective, with legal experts talking about bullying in the workplace, Panel of psychologists talking about bullying and its impact on individuals and teams, and also where bullying behavior comes from. So I couldn't do it justice in, in the couple of minutes we have now. But uh, again, a commitment to dedicating one of our episodes to bullying in the workplace, because if nothing else, I came away from that session with um, a new perspective on the prevalence of bullying in organizations here in the UK. And, and I'm sure it's happening elsewhere. It's happening in Hong Kong, according to Austin's email. So we're going to dedicate a uh, an episode to that. And I'm, I'm going to invite participation from some of the experts that I met on the day so they can bring their um their experience to bear on the conversation so let's move on to well-being news um it's a very well-being episode today <laughs> um uh the uh, one day of work that I did um, was I spent the day at uh, Essex County Council as part of their Learn Fest. Nice. So Learn Fest, it was a week that they'd organised of uh, learning and training and development activities to really bring home um, the message that we can learn and develop. In lots of ways, it's not all about training. So I ran a, a couple of short workshops, and I delivered a keynote on. It was on the topic of psychological flexibility, but it wasn't called that. Um, it's actually the name I'm using for for the for the training courses now. Uh, me at my best. So the idea is, what is it that I could do to turn up and be my best self at work, you know, each day? What's stopping me? How can I work on this? And looking at it through the lens of psychological flexibility and What I didn't know until it was it was, you know, literally about to start, the keynote was actually live broadcast um, to all of the offices across Essex County Council. Wow. And was recorded. So it's going to be on their learning management system for those people that uh, that didn't make it. But uh, I was in I was in a cinema. Um, that's the the venue that I had for the keynote. So I had this enormous screen behind me. Um, and I was so thankful I used high resolution images on my slides. Well done. But this incredible, big uh, auditorium that I was in. And I just want to thank everyone who came along for their questions afterwards. We had a great Q&A session and the questions were, were from lots of different perspectives, from values to dealing with, um, uh, nerves and anxiety in the workplace through to uh, managing emotions that you have maybe absorbed from difficult situations. So a really, really challenging session, but one I enjoyed. And uh, I think uh, the feedback was positive too. So thank you to the team at Essex County Council for the invitation to participate.
1: And what a great new title, Richard. I think I'm sure listeners agree, me, me at my, my best. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't want to be that? <laughs>
0: Well, exactly, exactly. And I think it's a bit easier to get your head around than psychological yes. flexibility, really. Um, there's two ways that actually you can you can do that training. We have a 90-minute um, session that is uh, very easy to run across, say, a lunch break or while you're having an off-site to come in and introduce the concepts. And uh, really the, the focus is on the, the values aspect of that, getting clear on what, what matters. And that's why I call that 90-minute session, Do What Matters. And then the full me at my best can be run across a day Um, A full day long workshop going through all of these skills and the interactive exercises or uh, as I'm planning to do it in Dublin next year it's going to be run across four two hour sessions uh, across four months to give people a chance to go and practice the skills in between and also minimize absence from the workplace. Mm. So uh, all of the details of that are available on the website and I'll put a link to those courses in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Sleep. Are uh, you you're getting enough sleep?
1: You, you know? know, lately it's not great. And uh, last night, because I was telling you before we started recording that I've got a lot on. It's all good, listeners, don't worry. Uh, but I did wake up around 1.30 and then luckily I went back to bed. But yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting enough, but I think it could be better quality.
0: Well, have I got a course for you? (laughs) Uh, Only because I was um, scanning my calendar when I was preparing this. I was just looking for some uh, dates. And actually, uh, next week, as we're recording, so the 27th of November, I'm going to be running one of our Wellbeing Essentials sessions. So these are 90-minute sessions um, that are a great introduction to a specific topic under the umbrella term of well-being. This one's called Sleep 101. And it's all about exploring some of the science behind sleep, what gets between us and a good night's sleep, how sleep disruption has an impact on us at work and outside of work, but also what we can do about it. And more than anything else, to bust a few myths. Because we all sleep, we all think we're experts on sleep, right? We're all human. So um, it's about clarifying some of that stuff and maybe doing away with some of the myths and helping people action plan for what they want to do to improve their sleep and uh, touching a little bit on travel and jet lag, but that is really predominantly covered in another session all about surviving business travel. So I'm going to be running that next uh, next Wednesday or Thursday uh, here in London. And um, I just thought that was uh, an interesting one to share, given that uh, uh, one of the news items I wanted to share this week was all about uh, an advance in our understanding about one of the benefits of sleep. I reference it in the workshop, but Wired have a story Uh, I'll link to, scientists now know how sleep cleans toxins from the brain. So if nothing else, you can imagine the better quality sleep you're getting as being the equivalent of an oil change for the engine that is your brain. But rather than doing that every few months, this is the oil change that really needs to happen every night. And uh, the researchers have identified the mechanism by which um, um, the, the brain is, if you like, cleansed overnight um, and uh, the cerebrospinal fluid um, flows around the brain and how that helps us. So it's a really interesting and quite accessible article that I've linked to. But if you needed more reasons to have a think about how you can get more and better quality sleep, this is an article that underlines just one more of the reasons and it's evidence-based. There's there's some really good quality evidence here. Um, I want to read a little bit from this though. Um, which speaks to the aging impact that a lack of sleep has on us. Um, some researchers already pointed out that disturbed sleep will age us from a reproductive health perspective so that those people, uh, men specifically, who get less sleep on a, on a regular basis have lower levels of testosterone, and that lasts quite some time. So that has implications for reproductive health. But the sleep disruption also has implications for Um, our brain's health. So I'll read this uh, from the article. The study also could have clinical applications for treating Alzheimer's. Uh, Recent attempts at developing medications have targeted beta amyloid. Um, The drugs that looked promising at first all failed once they got into clinical trials. This opens a new avenue. Now, if, if this was able to be translated into a treatment for Alzheimer's, I think that would be quite a breakthrough uh, that a lot of people in society would would really welcome. And yet it, it's a, something as simple as sleep that has implications there. And I think that's quite amazing.
1: Yeah, and it worried me a little bit because I think it mentions that a lot of this cleansing or cleaning of the, of the brain is done at the beginning of the sleep cycle, if I got that right. Um mm-hmm. so uh, that's why I did it last night I was like oh no <laughs> that's the the bit of my uh, sleep that got disturbed so but I think it's really interesting just understanding also what is happening at different stages of that sleep um so I thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting and I really liked the um the the caveat almost at the end that it was uh, this was this happened um sorry the study was done in healthy young adults uh, but also mm-hmm. the fact that the the study was non-invasive. So I, I really, yeah, it's great. It's really interesting. Really interesting, Richard.
0: And I don't think there's any one sleep study out there that answers no. all the questions. It's, just, it's such a complex thing in and of itself. But, you know, uh, regularly I come across stories. I come across articles that highlight, here's another impact of not getting enough sleep. And really, there are so many things that um, not getting enough sleep um, does to us. The main thrust of what I talk about in the workplace, though, when I'm running these sessions is not that uh, you should be worried if you have the occasional night of disrupted sleep. Maybe the neighbours are having a party, maybe somebody got a dog and it's barking in the back garden. Um, Maybe you just had a particularly difficult day and you've got a bit of a busy mind. That in itself is not problematic. It's It's when we do it to ourselves through our own habits, maybe staying up too late, staring into our iPad, watching Netflix until we fall asleep on the screen, or we're we're doing it by ingesting stimulants too late, like caffeine. Um, It's when we're maybe role modeling this mistaken belief that we don't need too much sleep and actually trying to be all alpha male about it and outdoing each other in the workplace by how late you're working and how early you're getting up you know it no one day is going to illustrate the impact that has on you it's a cumulative effect and uh, and it's quite serious so this in as much as it is about individuals habits it's also about organizational culture and respecting the value of sleep both in our well-being but also how we perform at work <laughs> I want to preface the next few episodes really to get you excited, um, listeners, as well as you, Pilar.
1: (laughs) I can't wait. Tell us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We are... Excuse me, apologies. I'm I'm a bit. Uh, I've got a bit of a head cold at the moment, so this probably sounds terrible. But the next few episodes that we have in the plan are going to focus on the various skills and processes associated with psychological flexibility. Now we've mentioned this a few times. We've talked about how um, I and many many other practitioners use this in coaching and training contexts. But when we looked at it the first time round, they were in our first few episodes. And um, I I sometimes will recommend specific episodes for people to listen to when they have an interest. And I've re-listened to them, and we packed a lot into those. And actually, some parts were a little bit superficial. We were under time pressure. So what I want to do is go back through these six processes that are involved in psychological flexibility and dedicate a conversation to each one. And I've got a series of expert guests who are joining me uh, to be interviewed about these different aspects and uh i'm really excited that our next episode is going to be all about uh values and the role that they play in our well-being in um in meaning uh for life and in this uh concept of psychological flexibility and i'm so delighted to say i'm joined by uh mr act himself uh ross mcintosh who is the um Uh, podcaster extraordinaire who um, has the People Soup podcast, which I can heartily recommend and I will link to. It's an excellent podcast, uh, quite different to ours. Um, His episodes are really quite brief and focused and and he does really good impersonations on his, so they regularly (laughs) make me laugh. He's really entertaining and he really knows his stuff so russ and i had a great chat about the role of values in coaching and also training people in these skills so a bit of a deep dive on one of those topics but It was really enjoyable to get uh, the perspective of another expert Uh, and he's a real expert in this space and lots of other nice interviews on the other aspects of uh, psychological flexibility lined up so i hope you the listeners will find that interesting and if it's something you want to know more about think about what you want to get from it or maybe you've read something about this maybe you listened to the previous episodes where we discussed it in the early days I think it was episodes 2, 3 and 4 maybe 3, 4 and 5 but it was really quite quite some time ago do get in touch with your questions and uh, especially after the interviews because um, everyone's agreed to take questions from our listeners so if there's anything you want to know more from them uh, do get in touch at mypocketpsych on Twitter and uh, worklifepsych.com slash contact for a longer message or question Our final piece of news for this episode before we move on is also about well-being. I, I think pretty relevant to this. It's, uh, I think we both saw this news article, Pilar, all about working hours in, um, uh, that are experienced by city traders. And this uh, BBC article, City Traders, we want shorter working hours, was interesting on a few levels, I thought. There's uh, a request there to, Uh, open the trading exchanges from 9am to 4pm instead of 8am to 4.30 because of the impact on working parents, but also because when they look elsewhere, the um, stock exchanges are open for in the US, only six and a half hours, and in Asia, just six hours. So um, that's quite a difference from the sort of European eight and a half hours. I thought it was interesting because they're organizing themselves to try and make this happen. And they're being very open about this request. I wonder would this have happened 10 or 15 years ago, uh, maybe culture has changed in the exchanges. What do you think? Well, you I
1: think culture has changed definitely. And there's been so much talk around flexible work and the law has changed as well, which recognizes that it is... Uh, um, that it is a, a, a right in in some industries in some companies. The, so I think that's really interesting. I didn't realize that the stock market was open for so much longer in the UK than in other places. Um, and the other the other thing is, of course, they can. It's easier now to get organized. It's easier now to share information, experiences, and to communicate them out there. So I think it's it's the perfect perfect time, and uh, and long overdue, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the um, standouts, holding off, however you want to put it, areas where I think, you know, potentially this has been traditionally very male dominated. But as you have more and more women um, in these roles, um, they want the flexibility that's going to help them manage the various responsibilities that they're managing. And as they point out here, um, these, these working hours are difficult for men and women. So it's for it's for um, everyone who has responsibilities and demands outside of the workplace, uh, not just uh, uh, female stockbrokers. Yeah, and
1: I think from ooh.
0: but an interesting specific context. Sorry to no, cut across I cut you.
1: across you actually. <laughs> Sorry, Richard, did had you finished?
0: Go ahead. Okay, sorry.
1: Um, and, and also, I think what you're mentioning uh, about uh, uh, women and mothers, and actually another thing that's happening now that maybe wasn't happening 20 years ago was uh, men talking more about parental leave and that having uh, become part of the mainstream conversation also. And there's a, a new sa- uh, site. So there was um, workingmoms.co.uk and now there's workingdads.co.uk. And I think that uh, there's an mm. article that the article you shared uh, sh- um, links to, which is called Millennial Men Demand Better Parental Leave. So I think that that too, now we are accepting, this is now a conversation that we're willing to have in the open. It's about the right of men also to have parental leave and how that helps the whole family too. So I think that has also helped this this request and this uh, organizing themselves.
0: Yeah, that, that narrative has moved forward and developed and is out there in society. As a non-parent, I'd also like to ring the bell for, um, flexibility and appropriate working hours, even if you don't Regardless. have kids. Because, <laughs> y- you know, it, it, well, how much can you get done in a working day of eight and a half hours that you couldn't get done in six hours uh, if the rest of that industry is working that way. And are you as productive at the end of those eight and a half hours than you might be at the beginning? So, you know, flexibility, I would suggest, shouldn't just be in this context, just about parental care, because there's a possible knock-on effect that uh, much younger non-parents might have to absorb some of this and that's not exactly Mm. fair either but nice to see a move in that direction so i thought i would share that story from the bbc it will be interesting to see if it actually Mm. happens so let's move on to the main content uh of this episode um i'm really really pleased to get some time with professor shane o'mara um bit of backstory shane actually taught me when i was an undergrad at uh, trinity uh many years ago um i think at this stage it was shortly after the relief of mafeking um but uh, i think it was his first year of teaching so i don't want to age him uh, <laughs> too much but i i reconnected with him at last year's cipd northern ireland conference we were both speaking at that and he gave the most incredible presentation about well-being in the workplace and and referenced one um the tendency for the HR industry to buy into myths and fads. And he, <clears throat> he named a few of those. But he also gave a really compelling talk on the benefits of physical exercise when it came to um, mental health and brain health, physically, the, the healthiness of our brain. And, you know, he talked a little bit about the, the health benefits of sleep there. And this is so similar to this. So he, he wrote a book that was published in August. Um, his other book is uh, right next to me here, actually, um, A Brain for Business, A Brain for Life, exploring the organizational context through the lens of uh, neuroscience. He he wrote this book, In Praise of Walking, all about something that so many of us take for granted, which is putting one foot in front of the other and uh, getting from A to B. It's, it's a great read. I'd heartily recommend it. It includes things like how cities are walkable or not, and how the walkability of a city impacts uh, the society that lives in that city in terms of social contact, in terms of business, and also in terms of obesity levels. Um, So at one level, we're talking about how society designs itself. He has some great commentary on how buildings are designed and how, you know, in the uh, 19th and early 20th century buildings had grand sweeping staircases when you walked in. And of course now the first thing you see are the lifts, <laughs> the elevators. So there's an element there of making walking the default rather than something that's a bit difficult to do or a bit unusual. So I was in Dublin and, um, uh, asked if I could come and interview him. And he was, um, very, very pleased to offer up some of his time. So I went to the, uh, the Institute of Neuroscience where he's based in Trinity College Dublin and we had a a great chat and I was very pleased to be able to show him my step count (laughs) from the previous day which was actually at LearnFest when I was walking all around the place and I managed to get 16,000 steps in and he nodded approvingly (laughs) at that so I thought that was that was pretty good. Um, Interestingly he wanted to conduct our interview standing up and I'd never done that before. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I know you record a lot standing up. All the time. Is there any reason for that? Yeah,
1: this? it's energy. Okay. Uh, it's posture. It's, it's mainly energy. It's the same as when I do any kind of um, um, in, cl- in class or in room stuff. I need to be standing up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I recognize the, the classroom-based stuff. So I obviously agreed. <laughs> yes, of course, we can do this standing up. And yeah, it was um, a really nice experience, really nice conversation. He was very generous with his knowledge. And um, I then listened to it. Because uh, I recorded it there and then and had to listen to our conversation as I walked to my next meeting and realized it sounded quite different. Standing up did make a difference. So maybe I'll have to change my setup here and do a bit of stand-up recording. But I've
1: never uh, recorded with someone else standing up. So how did you do that? Mm.
0: Uh, so secrets of the great podcasters. Um, I have a microphone that I can attach to the end of my iPhone. Um, it's a little mic that, uh, I just uh, then held between us, moved it slightly as we were right. talking, but yeah, it was as simple as that. And the qual- I was really pleased with the quality actually. So hopefully it comes through <laughs> at the other end. I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that the usual magic will be worked on the files to make them sound, uh, great, but, um, <clears throat> a really nice conversation. Honestly, we could have talked all day about this because walking, as you will hear, impact so much um, of our lives and because it's such an automatic thing we can take it for granted and yet brief walks you know we're not talking about changing your life but brief walks every day have such a positive impact on our well-being he really reminded me of um, the importance of movement rather than being sedentary and uh, was able to back it up with science, which is great So I'm going to link to his book, Um, I'll I'll link to his profile, he said he'd be really happy to hear from people who have questions and, um, excuse me, um, I hope you enjoy uh, the interview and do get in touch with us if you have questions about anything that was covered today, or indeed walking and its benefits for for well-being. Um, But uh, Pilar, I think after my interview with Shane, that's episode 52, anything to add?
1: Nothing to add, I hope, uh, well, I'm looking forward to listening too
0: super um i hope all of you out there enjoy it too do get in touch with your questions and as ever thank you for listening great so
2: let's start with a little bit about you
0: maybe you could tell me and the listeners a little about yourself and what it is that you do here at trinity college dublin
2: Hi, I'm Shane Amara. I'm a professor of experimental brain research here at Trinity College. Uh, I'm a neuroscientist and psychologist, and my principal research interests are focused on the brain systems that are involved in learning and memory and how these are affected by stress and depression. And uh, I'm also interested in thinking a lot more about mobile brains and how the brain is mobile and, and active in the world rather than just thinking about the brain in the lab.
0: So that's that's what I'm really interested in talking to you uh, about today, your, your recent book, In Praise of Walking. It's a great read. I've listened to it. I uh, got the audio book um, and listened to it while walking. So I'd like to know what was it that prompted you to write the book in the first place?
2: OK, so I, as always, I think with the best ideas, they come out of conversations. And my literary agent and I had been chatting about books and about ideas. And he said, let's not think about books. Let's just think about it other things and we were chatting about what I like to do and I said I like to walk and he said why don't you write a book on walking and I felt like I'd been slapped in the face with a fish as they say uh I thought yes absolutely why didn't I have that idea years ago um and uh, that's literally how the idea came about uh the writing of the book itself though was kind of once I had the idea, was given the idea uh it was obvious what needed to go into a book like that because uh, we now know lots about the brain systems that control walking uh, or that are involved in navigating the world. The brain is kind of a jerry-rigged device where brain regions are co-opted to different functions. And the brain regions that happen to be interested in uh, learning and memory and affected by stress and depression are also the same brain regions that are involved in navigating the world and orienting ourselves in that world so that we can walk about it. So that's how that idea came about. And and that's really nice because, you know, uh, my takeaway, one big takeaway
0: from the book was you have this narrative of it's uh, the brain, the brain in the person, the person in the city, the person in society and how those things impact both why we walk, why we don't walk and why it's good for us to walk. Um, From your perspective, this, this notion of walkability of cities. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I thought that was a really interesting concept.
2: Yeah. So this is not my concept, actually. It's a, a concept that evolved uh, in the US. And uh, it's a way of pricing where you live according to how walkable it is. And... Uh, in very simple terms, the the more desirable and more expensive locations in the US tend to be places that are highly walkable. You can engage in the activities of everyday life by just walking out your front door with a coat on if you need it. Uh, the shop is close by. The school is close by. The hotels are close by. Entertainment is close by. You can do everything on foot. So the the classically walkable city in the US, of course, is New York. Uh, a lot of cars in New York, obviously, but uh, and uh, public transport. But you you know you can live in somewhere like Manhattan and you can walk around uh, and never ever need uh, to to get into a car because you can do everything on foot. Boston, if uh, you're living in the city, is the same. San Francisco is the same. These are very expensive cities uh, and they're very desirable cities. They're very economically intensive cities where there's lots of lots of networking going on because people meet each other face to face and can see each other's lots of points of intersection. Um, Whereas cities like Atlanta, uh, which are not walkable, uh, not in any meaningful sense, very, very spread out. People have very, very long commutes, much less economic intensivity per square metre or per per square kilometre in in a city like that. So walkability is a way of simply scaling or or putting numbers on how easy it is to get around on foot. And could we take it from that, that if you live In
0: a walkable city, you're far more likely to engage in more walking than if you're in somewhere spread out like L.A. Uh,
2: Absolutely. And even more than that, you're more likely to engage in more walking during the course of your day. So um, and we know this now because we don't have to depend on what people tell us because people can't tell us in any great degree, what walking they've done over what period of time. Uh, People carry around wearables and they all have smartphones. Uh, And what you see in a city like uh, New York, an eminently walkable city, is uh, there's a peak of activity in the early morning where people are walking to work there's a peak again around lunchtime where people are walking out to get some food. And then there's an evening peak, which has a very long tail because people are going uh, out to entertainment. They're going out for food. They're doing all those kinds of things. Where cities that are not walkable, you have a small up, uh, lift in the morning. It remains flat during the day and it drops off again in the, in the course of the evening. And in a walkable city, again, you see a similar pattern at the weekends where Uh, not so much early Saturday and Sunday morning activity, but as lunchtime comes, people are out and they're walking around, Uh, whereas you do not see this in in, uh, walkable cities.
0: And we're here right now on the Trinity
2: campus in the very centre of Dublin. How do you rate Dublin as a walkable city? Uh, Dublin is, uh, well, there are two different ways, I suppose, of thinking about it. Uh, Dublin is an eminently walkable city in the sense that you can walk from uh, around the core city center regions easily, but it could be a much better city for walkers um, because uh, uh, the car is honored too much. And the, the, and the, now the, the, there's been attempts and these are ongoing to kind of get the car out. Uh, and I, I do want to come across as anti-car when I say this, even though I own a car. Um the old medieval cities of Europe, and Dublin is one of them, are essentially, you think of it like this, they're pint pots and we're trying to pour two litres into a pint pot. You can't do that. Uh, there, There isn't the accommodation, there isn't the space for them. And the only way you can make the space is by knocking down what makes the city interesting and replacing it with something that makes the city uninteresting, namely a motorway. Um, so Dublin could be much, much better, um, but it is actually a city that's wonderful to walk around
0: and i enjoy my walks when i'm here it's cool. nice to nice to wander the neighborhoods um well-being is a big topic that we talk about on the podcast and uh, there's there's quite a stream throughout your book about the benefits the various health benefits particularly psychological and brain health benefits could you in a nutshell
2: summarize some of those for the listeners yeah so i, I think the that- quickest and easiest way to say it is that walking is good for us in more ways than we actually know or realise. And the benefits of walking uh, accrue not just during the walk itself, but outlast the walk for very substantial periods of time. And I think we can think about them in in three different ways. One is the effect of walking has on the body itself. So walking lots is very good for building endurance um, and it helps uh, things like, for example, the passage of food through the, the gut You know, it has these wonderful collateral effects. Then walking uh, facilitates plastic change in the body uh, by building muscle, uh, especially in the legs, uh, by uh, strengthening your core because it, it helps change your gait. But also you get this wonderful secretion of molecules generated in the in the body that go back into the brain that facilitate brain plasticity. So walking helps uh, kind of build a resilient brain. Um, so that's kind of on a, a molecular level in terms of, of well-being. Uh, what people don't appreciate is how good a walk will make them feel. Uh, there's a kind of an inertia often about, oh God, do I have to get? Yeah, it's because we're lazy. We like to conserve energy. But once you're moving, um people's ratings of how good they feel during movement and after movement. Uh, I, I am and, and specifically referencing walking here, show that uh, people really, really underestimate how good they are going to feel from walking. Um, so that's kind of on the well-being side. And then uh, if you want to push it out a little bit further, um, walking uh, supports all sorts of functions in the brain, including things like creativity. Uh, we now know, for example, that a mind in motion is a much more creative mind than a mind sitting behind a desk. If you want to problem solve, get up and move. Don't sit there banging your head off the keyboard. It's it, it's frustrating, And it'll hurt, but it's not actually going (laughs) to solve the problem. Get up, go for a walk, take your mind off it and come back to it. You'll almost certainly come up with a a new solution to the problem. And the other thing then that I think has been hugely underestimated, and I've tried to focus on this in the book, is how important uh, walking has been for us socially. Um, I, I argued that walking evolved for social or in part for social purposes. Uh, We didn't walk out of Africa and conquer the world as one man with a spear going off uh, into the wilderness. It was in small groups. It was in tribes. It was in family uh, groups walking together, perhaps 20, 30, 40 people at a time uh, and uh, learning uh, about each other during the course of walking and selecting for our ability to be sensitive to each other when we are in movement. Um, And uh, one of the great experiences of life actually can be going on a walk together, uh, e- whether it's just for the, the, the enjoyment of, of of the conversation together or for change in society at large. And people uh, report feeling uh, when they go on on large scale marches, uh, kind of uh, a dissolution of their ego into the, the mass that they're with because they're there serving a a common purpose. No other species does this. You know, uh, animals will herd, but they don't herd to change their social hierarchy. They do it because they're programmed to do it. Humans have this extra thing that we can do, which is quite different to uh, every other species.
0: I loved your reference to evening walks. Uh, collective evening walks in Italy, for example, that's part of the culture that people will go out for a walk and they have the chance meetings and they have the chance conversations, which are definitely not going to happen
2: if you're sat at home on the sofa. Or if you're in a car, (laughs) the best you can do is wave, because if you stop and have a conversation, there would be people blaring you because you're blocking other people's progress. Whereas when you're walking, if you stop to talk to somebody, we can just sashay around and there's no problem. And we're evolved to do that. But you can't sashay in a car. (laughs) No, No,
0: as much as we might try. So there's there's a lot to this about human connection, uh, apart from anything else. This podcast is all about the workplace and people at work or people wanting to work. Obviously, walking is very relevant to working because so many jobs now are quite sedentary. Um, and people spend a lot of time commuting potentially, but not necessarily by walking. If you were just to imagine a typical person out there listening to this, what advice would you give them if they want to increase the amount of walking they do?
2: Yeah, so there, there, there are really two ways of looking at this. So let's focus on the individual first, and then we, we can focus on on the, 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 the kind of larger social structure. If you want to get more walking in, uh, simple tips are get off your tube stop earlier. Uh, I get out uh, my train stop regularly, an, an earlier stop than the, than the one here at the back of Trinity. Uh, and you can get an extra 2,000 steps in without even thinking about it. Um, uh, go to a coffee shop, just a little further away, extend your world a little, get up from your desk, don't eat at the desk, leave the building you're in and uh, take 15 minutes to walk somewhere, 15 minutes to walk back. Humans have a really interesting evolutionary adaptation that i as far as I know it isn't shared with any other species we can swallow while we're walking mm-hmm. uh, we don't have to throw our heads back like a, a bird does to swallow a fish down we can walk and talk and eat uh, and we're very very good at this because our hands are free and because of the position of our, our neck so even if you don't have time uh, don't feel guilty about eating while while walking I think that's okay um, so you can do those kinds of things if you go if you're parking your car park in the first car space that you see and walk the extra 200 yards don't spend three minutes or five minutes trying to find a space that's closer just walk damn it <laughs> it's it's the easy thing to do however the, the kind of structural issue I, I think we also need to focus on um, I'm guessing you know you're here in my office and I've got one two three four five Six chairs in this office. So let's take that as a ratio. Um, There are seven or eight billion of us on the planet. I'm guessing there's, what, 30 billion chairs, 20 billion chairs. We've made sitting really, really easy. And we've made access to food really, really easy. There's loads of food everywhere. Uh, We can go across the road and we can get fabulous vegan food. We can go down the road. We can get fast food. We can go to the local shop. We can pick up food that we can eat back here at the desk. Uh, Getting calories in the modern world is straightforward. Um, That brings with it a particular problem because we have two tendencies. One is that we're built for endurance walking. We can walk lots. We can walk 10, 12, 15 kilometers a day, day in, day out, from the age of about 18 months all the way up to our 90s. It's not not a problem to us. But we're also built to conserve energy. Uh, And these two tendencies fight. And in the modern world, the conserving energy one has won. And my six chairs in my office, embarrassingly, <laughs> um, give, give the, uh, the, the, uh, the truth or show the truth of that. So what we need to do is look at how we structure the environments that we work in. So to get to my office, you can take the lift or you can take the stairs. To get to the stairs, you have to go through three fire doors and then emerge from another fire door. Uh, the stairs is not central the lift is what's central. Uh, So that's a piece of bad environmental design and people will default to whatever's easiest. If the stairs was in the central uh, center of this building, we'd all be walking up the stairs because that's what's in front of us. Uh, And in our old grand buildings, when you come in, you have these wonderful staircases um, because there weren't lifts and we use them without thinking. And this is the thing that we really need to get back to. We need to our architects to understand that we need to build movement into our buildings uh, and into the environment. So people move without actually thinking about it. Uh, And then we need also to look at the design of our offices. Uh, We need in particular uh, to uh, ensure that we have active working spaces. Uh, We need lots more by way of standing desks, but standing desks alone are not a solution. Um, They get uncomfortable on your knees and they're actually bad uh, for uh, uh, other reasons you might get accumulation of blood in the in the feet, for example, if you're if if uh, you're not moving around. So we need to look at the new generation of walking desks where you, you can engage in self paced walking, uh, and we need to normalise meetings that are standing and moving about, uh, like we're doing for this conversation now. We could be sitting, but actually, I feel much better that uh, we're standing. Um, we're so slightly tiring, but that's okay. Uh, but there's a, a, a it's a good thing to do. So I, I think what we have to do is stop focusing on the individual as the problem. The problem is the environment, and we want to make the defaults in the environment attractive ones, so that people just don't think about uh, getting into the car, uh, taking the lift, or whatever it happens to be. We engage in movement because we've designed the environment to do that. I don't think architects are up to speed with this.
0: And then there's the wider bit about city planning as well oh, yeah. to make sure that a city is walkable and safe and, and it's easy to yeah. walk. I'm
2: remembering your EASE acronym that, yeah. that you mentioned. So let's, let's focus on cities for a moment. So if you go online and uh, do a search Uh, of the most popular tourist destinations in London uh, where you're based or here in Dublin where I'm based. Nobody cares about the uh, M40 Westway. Uh, Nobody's going to go and view that. Uh, What people are going to are the places where other people congregate. So where do they go? They go to the pedestrian plaza in front of Buckingham Palace. They go to the wonderful and and just really great pedestrian plaza around Covent Garden. They go to Leicester Square. These are car free places that people can easily congregate. They go around Soho. There are no cars really in Soho. There's a few parked on on the side streets, but it's a walkable place. Here in Dublin, you have exactly the same kinds of things. Uh, Galway, my hometown, uh, people go around what's called the quote, Latin Quarter. It's all pedestrianised, loads of restaurants, loads of shops, loads of entertainment, all of that kind of thing. Uh, And people go to these places to to see other people and to be seen and to be able to walk around. Um, We really, really need to get the idea that cars take up relative to their uh, size, a disproportionate amount of space compared to uh, what people take up. Um, and uh, if you look at uh, the changes that can happen in a, in a city when uh, you make a change like this, when you pedestrianise streets, uh, what you see is is a dramatic intensification of economic activity on those streets where the Uh, pedestrianisation is done in a way that allows people to get to them without much trouble and the way you get them to them is not by building car parks, it's by putting in effective public transport and public transport in turn, uh, in my view, has a democratising effect on the way we behave with each other in society because we all have to get onto the tram and trust each other Um, and we do this (laughs) Um, so, you know, uh, it, it, whereas the isolation from each other that happens uh, 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 when we're stuck in a car, as compared with any other form of transport, really can have a, a very, very unpleasant effect on society. Yeah. And I say this as a hypocrite. I own a car, but this is because my city requires me. <laughs> <Yeah>. well, you're <laughs> to coming in a distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you need now, to. I get... never drive to work, mm-hmm. but to do the school run and to do other things, because it's not safe, I'd rather uh, cycle uh To the school, <laughs> yeah. then drop the bike at the uh, the local train station and take the train into into work but it 's just not safe to do that um uh, but you know I can live in hope that it will change and you mentioned earlier that lots of people have wearables
0: and they use pedometers and smartphones. Often people will fixate on a number of Mm -hmm. steps. The magic number they're always quoting is the 10,000 steps. What's your view on that? I've heard a few views.
2: Yeah. So the the 10,000 number is entirely made up, uh, which is fine. Um, However, uh, I'm in favour of it for the simple reason that we have good data on how much people walk. Um, And the Japanese walk the most. Uh, of any population on the planet, on average, about five and a half thousand steps a day. Now, a kid learning to walk walks about two and a half thousand steps an hour. Um, so the Japanese shouldn't pride themselves too much. They are beating the world, but it's still not good enough. So I think, uh, take whatever you're doing and add five thousand steps to it as a, as a first place to go. If you're Japanese, that gets you to 10,000. And uh, if the urban legend is correct, that's where the 10,000 came from. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at hunter-gatherer societies uh, who live a kind of an ancestral life form, what you typically see is the males, and these studies are done in, in South America and in uh, Africa, males typically walk around about 15 to 17 kilometers a day uh, engaging in hunter hunting and gathering and the females typically walk around about twelve to fourteen kilometers a day something of of that kind of order um that's about you know let's say twelve kilometers that's about fifteen thousand steps that's eminently doable it's not it actually isn't a lot um uh but the way our days are structured ensures that it is um uh, but you know if you have a nice decent walking desk which i hoping to acquire, but I I don't have at the moment. Uh, You could rack up five or six thousand steps uh, in the course of an hour without even thinking about it. I take all my phone calls, for example, if I I, if I do T-Cons with colleagues from the States, I always take them uh, in a place where I know I can walk. And if you're on the phone for an hour and a half, Mm -hmm. you can walk and talk and you'll crank out five thousand steps in an hour without or an hour and a half without even thinking about it. And you're not tired at the end of it, but you've had the benefit Mm -hmm. of engaging in that walk.
0: So, so, so it sounds like it's about looking for opportunities yeah. where they you mightn't have thought of them, and there are yeah. opportunities, and moving from being uh, sedentary as the default to moving as, as more the, of the, the default.
2: default. Yeah, yeah. And, we, and we just we have to structure, create the environment that allows that to happen. So, I, I, remember, humans are cognitive misers. Um, we have limited bandwidth for all the things that we have to think about and we have to stay alive and do all the other stuff that we have to do during the course of the day. So um, asking somebody to add one more piece to what might already be uh, a near bandwidth cognitive load is not the way you do this. What you do is you create the default so that people do it without ever having to think about it. And this is my point about the centrality of of uh, access to stairs rather than lifts um, uh having uh, public transport that's uh, frequent uh, and uh, reasonable to use. You know, there's a a phrase in public transport about frequency is freedom. If once you have uh, a a train service, for example, that is 15 minutes or more frequent than that, say 10 minutes, people stop timing themselves going to train stations. They will go to the train station and take the train because they know there'll be another one along. The cognitive cost threshold seems to be around the... 13 to 15 minute uh, range. Uh, so we, we, we need to be cognizant of how it is that humans are built and and use those uh, kind of factors about how we're built to design our environment. And we'll all be happier and we'll all be healthier and we'll have more social trust. <laughs> what, what do you see as being the number one benefit that someone might expect
0: over the medium term? They're not going to get an instant benefit. But if you did your 10, 12, 15,000 steps a day, how would that benefit you?
2: Um, I, I, gosh, there's so many uh, small, I think what you'll see is a a whole host of small changes that add up to uh, a very big change. You'll generally feel better in yourself. You'll sleep better. Um, and that'll mean you're more clear headed. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, we haven't talked about sleep at all so far, but you know, uh, Humans are the only species that top and tail their, spe- their sleep. We stay up a little bit late because that Netflix series is great, mm-hmm. and we get up early. Your pet dog doesn't do this. Your pet dog thinks it's time to sleep, and it doesn't matter if they're in your sitting room or in the kitchen. They're just going to go asleep. A cat is the same. You're, uh, you know, uh, we're peculiar because we do this, but we know that uh, cropping sleep is really, really bad for you psychologically. Um, uh, in all sorts of ways. And lots of walking actually facilitates the induction of good quality sleep. So that in turn is psychologically rewarding. Um, and then you have these kind of long term changes that happen. The more you uh, walk, the more consistent the walking you do and the more frequent uh, you do it, the better you will feel right throughout uh, your whole body. And the contrast, of course, is 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 there uh, the weather has been terrible here for the past two weeks it's been very cold which is fine you can dress up for that but it's also been the rain has been absolutely appalling it's it's it, it, it is, uh, seems somehow to to soak you in no matter how well you you see so I haven't done much as much walking as I would like and the feeling of sluggishness that you get from that is is really quite appalling and you know think about the bike that you've left in the shed for the three months of the winter it's all uh, gummed up yeah, uh, yeah. when you want to take it out. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: We could talk about this forever.
2: Yes. I don't want to take over
0: any more of your time. That's been really fantastic. I'm going to link to you and to the book, if that's okay. That's and uh, all, the, all the listeners can find out more. But for now, thank you very much for your time. It's been great.
2: Richard, thank you.
0: Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com slash contact. Thanks for listening.